The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Hope you're all having a great Friday, a great end to your work week. We do this for the next hour and a half. We go up until 7 o'clock. So we're finishing up week two, and the feedback continues to be great. I'm going to, you know, I feel like I've said that every day this week because I continue to just be amazed and impressed. The, the, the people who are listening live and listening every day, I hear from you guys, and you can always get in on the show by reaching out to me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. That's at WDEV Radio Brady. And I continue to hear feedback on how much you guys are enjoying the full podcast version up after the show as well. You can find that every single day on your favorite podcast channel, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or at WDEVradio.com. We did more than 3,000 downloads in week one. We've already eclipsed that in week two. So we really appreciate everybody who listens, who spreads the word, and who gets the word out. So we've also got a bonus interview, by the way. So if you subscribe to our channel, again, on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com, we've got a special bonus episode out there. And I'll do that from time to time. Anthony Tresh, Pro Football Focus, he joined me for a sit-down. It was about 15 minutes long. And he he leads Pro Football Focus's college, college football efforts. He wrote an article about why the Patriots should tank for Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State. And I thought it was really interesting. So I brought him on. We'll probably play part of it at some point here on the show as we move towards, you know, move through the season and stuff like that and towards the draft next April. But um, the full interview is there. He What he thinks about some of the college quarterbacks coming out if the Patriots are looking at them. Also did talk about Sam Darnold getting ready for Monday Night Football against the Pats. And we got the questions answered on Jared Stidham. So full podcast is is available. We will not play the full interview on the show. So it's kind of a special bonus feature for you guys who are subscribing. The show is sponsored by all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, the home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, is going to join us in about 15 minutes to get ready for week number nine. But first, start right here. We told you yesterday that it was possible that it was going to get done by today. And it has gotten done by today. Alex Cora is going to be back in Boston. John Heyman of MLB Network, he had the report first at about 10 o'clock this morning. I'm not surprised that the Red Sox did this. I had a little bit of surprise that Haim Bloom did this. But overall, I'm not surprised that this happened. Because if you look at the five reasons I'm about to give you, it became pretty easy to bring Alex Cora back to Boston. First off, A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros during the sign-stealing scandal, he's already been rehired. He's already gotten a job. He's now the manager of the Detroit Tigers. So you're not in a position to bring back the cheater first. It's already, The precedent is already set that these guys, even though they were shamed, that they can get jobs. And you saw, you let the Tigers and Hinch take the first round of arrows from people and from critics. So once the precedent was set, it became easier 
for the Red Sox to rehire Cora. They didn't have to do it first. They didn't have to set the precedent. They got to follow the precedent, and it's always easier to follow than it is to set. The players want this to happen. Make no mistake that the players still, in a lot of ways, in a lot of sports, drive the ship. In the NFL, they don't unless you're the quarterback. Major League Baseball, the NBA, players-driven leagues. You already see the reactions of players, okay? Eduardo Rodriguez on social media. Guys are very, very happy about this. Peter Gammons of of also MLB Network, longtime Boston Globe columnist, Red Sox insider, he affirmed that today. Time took a lot of time going through all this, trying to figure it out. But th- there is a lot of advantage to, A, knowing Boston. And Alex is fine in Boston. He's, a- he's able to take it. I know this, the players were really excited. I heard from some of them. I know that his phone was buzzing all, mo- all morning about it from the, from the players. The players love him. And you have a team that, look, there's a lot of youth and there's a lot of restructuring to do with this team. But there's still veterans that know Cora, that like Cora, that will play hard for Cora and might be more inclined to endure a rebuild or a mini rebuild if Cora is there. Xander Bogarts has an opt-out coming in his contract. You want him to stay? He has a good relationship with Cora. Rafael Devers is a guy you want to lock up long-term. He has a great relationship with Cora. So there are guys there mixing in all that youth. There are veterans there that know Cora, appreciate Cora, and relate to Cora, and they wanted Cora. You want to re-sign Eduardo Rodriguez, I would imagine. He loves Cora. Also, think about this. We didn't have fans at all during the regular season this year. We're hearing talk about a vaccine being widely distributable by next summer. So you're going to go through what I would imagine a lot of next season without fans and certainly without full crowds at major league games. So it doesn't be, you're not going to endure the huge amount of abuse on the road. The Red Sox players aren't going to have to answer every single night. What's it like playing in a, you know, playing in the environment where they're booing your manager. That's not going to happen because there's not going to be that many fans there, and it's going to become much more comfortable for the players. Heck, the media might not have the access, at least for some of the season, that they're used to having as well, and players won't get bombarded by those questions in person. It will become an easier situation for the Red Sox team, for the Red Sox players, for Cora himself, and for the Red Sox management team. Number four, Remember the commissioner's report. Rob Manfred's report said that Alex Cora did not do anything with the Red Sox. And that's important. The Red Sox essentially, they have this get out of jail free card where they can say, look, yeah, he did something wrong, but he did it wrong in Houston. He didn't do it wrong here. He didn't do it wrong with us. And that's important too. The Red Sox can hide behind that and say, look, we understand the punishment. He deserved the punishment, but none of that happened here. Had it happened in Boston, it would have been a much more difficult sell, but because it didn't, it becomes a situation that is much easier to spin back in your favor. And five, I saw, I I don't remember who it was, but some baseball writer asked the question, how can Alex Cora get off so easily from fans? Why are fans not upset by this? And my simple answer to that is, buddy, look around. Look at what's happened in 2020. Look at all that's gone on. Coronavirus has impacted our lives and sapped us of a lot of things we love to do. 
It has sapped the job market. A lot of people have lost their jobs during this. Life is so much different now than it was at this time a year ago. Okay, People have moved on because they've had to move on. I usually don't agree with cheating. I don't usually want to sign steroid users. I don't usually endorse cheaters. I don't like bad people. I don't like people who have done bad things. But if you look at the last 12 months, and I guess more specifically, the last seven months, there's other places to direct your anger, your frustration, and your attention. Alex Cora and a cheating in a, in a sign stealing scandal where he was an assistant coach, a bench coach from three years ago, is no longer at the top of people's priority list. Maybe you, crotchety old sports writer, think that it should be, but for me, it's about how many jobs have been lost, how many people have died, how is our life going to look. We've all been weighed down by this election. No matter what side of the docket you fall on, we've all been weighed down by the stress of the election because we knew it was coming and it's been building to a crescendo. And it's still going to go. No matter who wins, it's still going to happen until inauguration takes place. I have other places now to direct my frustrations. I just, I, It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't think what the Astros did was wrong. It's not that I don't think what Alex Cora did was wrong. It's just now the venom and the vitriol has been taken away because it's being directed in so many other areas of life that are far more important than what happened with the 27 Ast 2017 Astros. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's not forget this, though. The one I, you got to give the Red Sox the business on this because this is ridiculous. This is the Friday news dump of epic proportions and it's embarrassing and it's shameful on the part of the Boston Red Sox okay you have a Friday news dump where we hear that Alex Cora is going to be the manager if you are proud of this hire and I've just given you all the reasons why it became easier they should be allowed they should be able and willing and proud enough of the hire to come out and say it themselves without hiding behind what's I mean right you have a, a presidential election the most controversial, at least of my lifetime, that might be decided today. And looks like it looks like it's going to have a resolution very, very soon. You at the minute they're counting votes in Pennsylvania and Georgia, you're gonna leak this out to the media, where it's not gonna get a whole lot of attention because the presidential election's taken everything. Then you're gonna dump it the night out, you know, the morning after the NBA comes to its resolution about when it's gonna start, and on a the Friday where everyone's talking about football, and you're not really in the crosshairs. If you the players are proud of this hiring. The Red Sox fans are proud of this hiring. Management who loves Cora should be proud of this hiring. If that's true, all three of those things should be true. If they are, it didn't need to be buried on the Friday, on the same day that the president might be elected. I mean, that is weak. It's weak on John Henry's part, on Sam Kennedy's part. Those guys, this could have waited till Monday. A Monday where you give it a full news cycle. But instead, you put it on Friday where everyone's going to put it on the back burner and then people are going to come in on Monday and they're going to talk about football and they're going to be getting ready for the Patriots game on Monday and you're going to be able to get it by the wayside and just get off without a whole lot of criticism because this weekend's dominated by the election and football and then Monday is dominated by football and then Tuesday is dominated by Patriots Monday night recap. That is a weak Friday news dump because the Red Sox have made it so that Really, with with the there aren't too many people that are on this late at night, right? Well, most people are off the air by six. 
and they're all getting ready for football. So they've made it pretty convenient that they're not going to get ripped or slammed or questioned for the next couple of days. I don't mind the hire of Alex Cora. I mind the Friday news dump of embarrassing proportions here. Put it, if you're proud of the hire and you're welcoming back a guy who led you to a championship, you should be proud of the hire. That's how, if you were willing to bring him back, you should stand by the hire. Don't dump it on a Friday where the election might get decided. So what happens now? What happens now for the Red Sox? There needs to be a clear conversation about what direction the team is heading. I told you yesterday my biggest fear in this was that Hyam Bloom was going to be afraid he didn't have the power in a struggle with Alex Cora. There needs to be a clear direction about where the team is headed and everyone needs to be on board with it. If this is a rebuild, even a mini one, then Cora needs to be okay with it. He's known to be a great communicator. He's known to be a great teacher. If the team is bad this year, he needs to be okay with it and publicly support the direction of the franchise because he is lucky to have this job back, and he should be incredibly grateful to have this job back. And if the team in High and Bloom says, this is what we're doing, he needs to be okay with it, and he needs to do it publicly. If he isn't okay with that, he shouldn't take the job because this team, to me, is not a contender in the AL East next year. To me, they are no better than third place in the AL East, and they're probably ticketed for fourth. Because the Yankees are better, the Rays are better, and Toronto's probably better, even over 162. I mean, things could continue to be real bad in Boston. And you've got to know that everyone's on the same page. Because you cannot have Cora going in thinking he's battling for a World Series and Bloom thinking we're playing the long game. Everybody better get crystal clear as to what direction the franchise is going. Because if everybody... And if... Everybody, the fans, I think the Red Sox are going to the World Series. I'm a little more realistic. They're not. They're probably not finishing better than fourth, as I just told you. But if everybody expects the team to be competitive right away, they better start be prepared to be spending big money. They better be in on George Springer and Trevor Bauer and Marcelo Zuna because I don't think they're one of those guys away. But if they expect to contend next year, then Ian Bloom better understand that and he better open up the wallet. I don't think that's the best course of action. I don't think that he thinks that's the best course of action. But if everybody wants to win and there's the expectation to win, then they better be prepared to open up their pocketbooks. Even in a, And I don't want to hear excuses about the pandemic taking money. I don't want to hear that. If, you, if you're bringing in Cora because you think he can take you back to a World Series quickly, open up the wallet. But everybody better get on the same page. I think the best thing to do is basically sit this year out from the major free agents, sign a bunch of stopgap guys, try to trade them at the deadline, get some prospects back, and then maybe start going back all in the, you know, the following offseason once revenue has started to really kind of regenerate itself. But everybody better get right on the same page, and they better be quickly because there cannot be a disconnect between Bloom and Cora about what the team's expectations are. Internally, this team better understand that they might go 75 and 87 next year. And everybody better be okay with that. Because if they're not, if there's that disconnect, it's going to get ugly fast because you're going to have some infighting. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Because of the hiring of Alex Cora, I've kind of switched around the uh, the show today. I usually have a, a kind of a pretty strict formula I like to follow. I will have 
my NFL games to watch, my six-pack of questions for you. I'll do that later in the show. Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus is going to stop by right now. He's going to help us get ready for Patriots-Jets on Monday and the weekend as a whole. So on the other side of the break, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, and the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Football is a complicated game. It's full of plays. John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? And numbers and statistics. So how do we even understand the game? (laughs) It's our weekly conversation with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Every single Friday this time, we bring on our guy, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. Eric, how are you? Doing well, man. Uh, Long week, as many people know, but uh, it looks like we're going to get some football uh, this weekend and, you know, with Patriots uh, Monday night. Yeah, Patriots Monday night. Um, Is there any redeeming quality about this matchup with the Jets? Uh, I feel like it's probably, uh, you know, one of those where if you're a Pats fan, you're, you're going to either get a win, which is a win, I guess, or you're going to get closer to, you know, drafting the, you know, Brady's eventual, eventual replacement. Um, if you, if you end up losing, I think the, the only place, uh, where maybe it's an issue is, uh, you know, if you, if you're betting on this game, it might not be that fun. I was so disappointed last night in how the 49ers offense looked because I was all I tuned in second quarter and Nick Mullins is moving the ball down the field. Then he ends up throwing a bad pick, but I'm like, see if they can do it with zero talent out there, why can't the Patriots do it? And then their offense proceeded to do nothing. So I guess you do, you can have the best play calling in the world. You have to have some degree of talent available to you. Yeah, that does appear to be the case. I mean, I, I'm a big time believer in Kyle Shanahan. I thought that he was going to run circles around Belichick a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, it's clear that, you know, there's obviously limitations to that. And even though Nick Mullins, you know, his statistics end up looking okay, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that he, you know, if he doesn't have receivers like Ayuk and, and Samuel, you know, Kittle, it, it's not going to go that well. The Packers, who have been pretty rough defensively this year, did a pretty good job of shutting them down yesterday. Let me ask you this. I asked somebody else this question earlier in the week. I'm going to ask you, in honor of the election, next four years, Bill Belichick or a young offensive play caller, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan type, who would you rather have? Defense is so hard to sustain because it takes, you know, it it sort of takes a village, right? It takes, um, you know, uh, like you look at the Patriots, right? Their front seven's gone. Um, They're fine defensively, but they're not nearly as brilliant as they were the first half of last year coverage isn't quite as good you know you lose chung who's been one of the best players in the league at covering tight ends offense it's really about you know play caller quarterback if you have those two guys in place you know you know essentially a lot of those other things sort of drop off of in, in importance so you know give me you know the offensive guy now i don't know if mcveigh is the kind of guy i really want long term i'm you know, I, I kind of like Joe Brady. I kind of like, um, you know, obviously Andy Reid, but he's, you know, no longer young. Um, but even like an Arthur Smith who, who coaches in Tennessee, uh, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, like one of those guys is obviously, you know, who I would go with um, over an average defensive coach. Now, Bill is far from average. So, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I think the, the rubber meets the road there. Why has McVeigh's star fallen? Because a couple of years ago, it was anybody who was near McVeigh was getting a job, and that's how Zach Taylor got the job in Cincy. Why are people down on McVeigh? I still like McVeigh. Uh, yeah, it the the issue is I think that their their one offs aren't very good. So you watched the the game the other day 
um, against the Dolphins, and the Dolphins get an 18-point lead on them relatively quickly, and they try to come back throwing a bunch of speed outs to Cooper Cup. Like when the play-action game isn't working, when they're behind, they can't really move the ball downfield as well, uh, you know, as some of these other teams. Whereas I think, you know, even though San Francisco still, you know, requires a lot of, you know, play-action and stuff to cover up, um, you know, the, the quarterback deficiencies, I think that they're a little bit more explosive. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Patriots didn't make any real big moves at this at the trade deadline. A couple of additions, you know, they go get Isaiah Ford from Miami. What does the ta- or what does the grade show on Stephon Gilmore? Okay, he's not the defensive player of the year. Is he still an elite corner though? Yeah, I think that the, the nature of cornerback play is that you know year to year, it's almost never the right. You know, you almost never can capture how good somebody is i you know i honestly thought gilmore was a better player and i think the grades you know would suggest such in 2018 he had a 90 coverage grade for us he had just an 85 a season ago you know it's it's up and down with those guys and you know you saw jason barrett last night was absolutely abused by the green bay packers and you know prior to that the passer rating he had given up in that you know season was 50.9 so it's just a really really uh you know unstable you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, bit there. And, you know, for example, a season ago, like, you know, he'll, you know, Gilmore only gave up one touchdown, intercepted six passes. Now he's given up two in one year. And, you know, not all that much is different. I mean, the completion percentage is a little higher against him um, and, and all of that stuff. But it's really, you know, it, it's just a really random results-based game back there in the secondary. And, you know, without much of a pass rush to speak of, Gilmore has just, you know, tailed off a little bit. But I don't expect that to be something that's sort of fundamental about his game moving forward. What position fluctuates most year to year in the NFL? Like in baseball, I always say, well, the bullpen is volatile. Well, guy looks like Cy Young in the bullpen one year. The next year, you know, he's a middle reliever at best. Um, what position fluctuates most in the NFL? Well, it's corner. Um, you know, corner is the is the most volatile position, and it's because it's not an attacking position. You're not in control uh, of a lot of the things that you are responsible for. And, you know, and, you know, it's really schedule-based. I mean, when you're – uh, you know, the Patriots last year in your first bunch of games, you're facing a really bad Josh Allen, uh, Sam Darnold, but also Luke Falk. Like, you know, you're you're not you're not facing great, you know, but it'll take Minnesota, too. I mean, the first half of the year they faced, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks, many of whom might go to the Hall of Fame. Second half of the year, might, they, we might be asking, like, what how is Minnesota's defense improved? Well, you look at it. Why is it? Well, they might be facing Chase Daniel this week and they might be facing. Um, you know, uh, Jake Luton in a couple of weeks and Teddy Bridgewater. And and that really does make a difference. And it's not really something that you can control uh, with your fundamentals. So the Patriots play on Monday. We'll get back to them in a minute. But of Sunday, there are some very, very interesting and noteworthy games. I think I'm most interested in the team the Patriots just saw, Buffalo against Seattle. Buffalo's at home, should give them an advantage. But Seattle's always been good going east under Russell Wilson. What's your What's your gut on that game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have uh, Seattle's a two and a half point favorite. We probably like it a little bit more like three. So I think we we would favor Seattle in this one. Um, both defenses are not very good. I think one of the underrated things about the Bills um, is that their defense is probably, you know, in the same category as the Seattle defense, many, you know, pe- of which many people think is not good enough to actually win with. So that's, that's kind of where I'm trending here. I, I like, I like Seattle. I think both defenses are going to be bad. And I think Josh Allen, if you ask him to cross the street 10 times and keep up with Russell Wilson, I think he's going to get hit by a car one of those times. How about the other team in the AFC East that's really interesting is Miami. Now, they make the, the sudden 
decision to bench Fitzpatrick after a couple of wins. Tua plays, gets the win last week, but didn't have to do a whole lot. They're taking on a pretty good Cardinals team who's beaten Seattle. What do you think of that matchup overall, Tua against Kyler Murray? Yeah, I you know, I think Kyler Murray's maybe a little bit overrated right now. They they're really good on the win-loss record. So obviously that's gonna protect onto the quarterback play if the quarterback play isn't a disaster. And he hasn't been a disaster, but he hasn't necessarily played as well. That 10 to 19 range, he's not been a very good quarterback. Um, but at the same time, you need to see it from Tua. You can't, re- you, you know, you can't rely on defensive touchdowns. You can't rely on special teams touchdowns every week. He does have pretty good weapons. It was nice to see him throw a touchdown to Devontae Parker um, the other day. But, you know, he's got to be better than he was, a, you know, a week ago because we give him about a 40% chance to make the playoffs, which is a pretty good bet. I mean, their defense is pretty good. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, the, the in the games where Igbenogany, Howard, and Jones have all played, they haven't really given up a pass that's traveled over 20 yards in the air. So they're a very stout defense, taking a lot of the players and, of course, the brain power of Brian Flores away from the Patriots, and it's really showing. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. We focus so much on the players that leave the Patriots, right? Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton, Danny Amendola, all these guys that are no longer here. But what about just the the – the sucking away of the brain trust in the front office or in the coaching staff is that, you know, some of the Patriot struggles attributable, you know, attributable to that. I mean, Jason light, who's the GM in Tampa used to be a Patriot. John Robinson in Tennessee used to be a Patriots guy. Can you explain some of the Patriots personnel issues and drafting issues on not having some of those minds around? Yeah. And, and they're just, they're going to be doing more difficult than everybody else because you know, they're where of the nature of where they're drafting. I mean, they're taking players, you know, when's the last time they picked above, you know, 28 in the draft? I mean, other than this, even this year they traded back. Um, you know, they're, they have a harder time of it, but then they've also performed poorly in the first round. So it, it's tricky. Uh, I would say that there's some obvious, you know, you know, in the Patriots' heyday, it was Pioli and it was Belichick. And, you know, since then, it's really been Belichick kind of by himself. And, you know, some coaches who I think most of whom have struggled when when it's come time to sort of do the entire job, um, there there could be something to it. I know their, you know, their drafts have not looked good by our metrics in an awful long time. uh, And they generally, you know, do okay because they draft a lot. They do a lot of trades. The the Patrick Murray or the the, um, Kenneth Murray trade with the Los Angeles Chargers was a very good move this year. But that doesn't mean that the guys they end up getting, the Duggars of the world, are going to end up being good. It just means that they're giving themselves a better uh, chance at the roulette table. So it's a, it's an interesting one. I would say Flores appears to be a guy who really gets it. Um, and and that's, and that's a good thing. And in Tampa, you know, they also made, you know, significant strides to be more like a Patriots defense. They drafted in 2019 – you know, Devin White, uh, Sean Murphy bunting the year before it was Carlton Davis. And you, you look up and that defense all of a sudden looks like a very coverage heavy defense, which is how you win in the current NFL. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, joins us every single Friday. Eric, man, we appreciate it. Look forward next week to uh, breaking down a uh, hopefully, finally, Patriots win over the Jets. So thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, have a good weekend and stay safe. All right, you too, Eric Eager. Thank you very much. And uh, Eric Eager joins us every single Friday, gets us ready for the NFL weekend ahead and the Patriots game ahead against the Jets. Reminder, we'll have that game for you right here on WDEV as we become the home of the Patriots, starting with Monday night's game against New York. We won't have a show next uh, next Monday, unfortunately, but we will have Patriots football. Bob Sosi, Scott Zolak on the call. And remember, uh, Bob Sosi joins me every single Tuesday, so we'll have our full recap on Tuesday's show. 
uh, the staff cutting up the interview. I've kind of motioned to them my takeaways, so we will uh, get to those. The biggest takeaway will come up after the break. Hey, quick local note, good update on Hockey East. If you're a UVM fan, both on the men's and the women's side, the league is going to go on. We are going to have 20 league games on the men's side, 18 on the women's opening night is November 20th. Not sure if UVM is going to play that day because the league schedule is not out yet, but uh, there will be a conference tournament. They're hoping for that at the end of the season and uh, looking forward to it. So good local news there if you're a UVM hockey fan, both men and women. All right, biggest takeaways from the Eric Eager interview. Those are coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. And remember, you can also stream us live every single day on your smart speaker or on the WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here on a Friday at WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, just joined us. We'll get back into Alex Cora in about 10 minutes, but we always, as we always do, we have our big interview at 545, and then we have our biggest takeaway. Staff does a great job at quickly turning those around for me. Um, very interesting. And I was talking with Eric about this. Let me set it up first. I was ready to come in today and just rip the Patriots. And specifically, I was ready to just come in and rip Josh McDaniels for the same things I've been frustrated about with Josh McDaniels about four years, but specifically since you've been listening to me here for the last two weeks. The lack of creativity on offense, the inability to take what are some good players and then just some NFL players and turn them into anything. I was watching the 49ers last night, and they were down 7-3 to at this point. They ended up losing, you know, 34-17, to but they were down 7-3. to And Nick Mullins is moving the ball down the field. And they're just boom, 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 and they're getting towards the red zone. And I'm like, this team had 14 players on IR when they played the Patriots. They've now lost Brandon Ayuk, Curtis Samuel, or, uh, Debo Samuel, and Kendrick Bourne, three of their, their three top wide receivers to either injury or COVID protocol and COVID positive tests or being close association. And they were moving the ball down the field against one of the best teams in the NFC. And I thought to myself, if Kyle Shanahan can get down the field with this group of care, with his backup quarterback, without his all pro tight end, without his three best wide receivers and without his top three running backs, why can the Patriots not do anything offensively? Oh, and by the way, he was down as offensive lineman too, his top offensive lineman, Trent Williams. So I came in today to absolutely prepare. Like when I was watching that, I'm just seething, thinking, see, see, it's not, I understand. They don't have all pro wide receivers. But if Kyle Shanahan can do it with this crew, without a starting quarterback, and who I think Cam Newton is still better than Nick Mullins, why are the Patriots not able to do it? But then everything was restored to how it ended up. Nick Mullins throws a bad pick. Now they're getting blasted. It's 31-3. It's 34-3. They only scored late because of garbage time. So I asked Eric Eager, I said, Eric, Evidently, you do need talent. You can have a great play caller, a great system. You do need talent. I'm a big-time believer in Kyle Shanahan. I thought that he was going to run circles around Belichick a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, it's clear that, you know, there's obviously limitations to that. And even though Nick Mullins, you know, his statistics end up looking okay, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that he, you know, if he doesn't have receivers like Ayuk and, and Samuel, you know, Kittle, it, it's not going to go that well. So we have to be somewhat more understanding of the Patriots' shortcomings. You can have all the bells and whistles. 
And I want the Patriots to have the bells and whistles. And the, and Shanahan has the bells and whistles. Jet motion, good sweep, all kinds of stuff. Well-designed plays. If you don't have talent, you just can't win in the NFL. And the Patriots right now are just devoid of of a lot of talent. They have some, right? Rex Burkhead is a good player. James White is a good player. Damian Harris is a good player. Sony Michelle has had moments where he's been a good player. There are good players on the Patriots. There are not enough of them, though, for you to say that creative play calling and good scheme can simply carry them. And I think I have just thought that good play calling or better play calling by Josh McDaniels and a good scheme, and a good game plan could hide a lot of the other deficiencies. It can't. Where the difference is, is that what I saw in Kyle Shanahan, he's at least putting his players in an opportunity to be successful. He's at least giving them an opportunity to look good. And for a while they did. Into the second quarter, it was 7-3. to three. And if not for the interception, who knows, they might go down and score, and it's a whole different game. I don't feel like Josh McDaniels has put guys in a great position. I think Cam Newton is a better player at this point in his career than than Nick Mullins is. Like, Nick Mullins is the mop-up guy who comes in when Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, gets down big, and then ultimately throws a couple of garbage-time touchdowns. Cam Newton was still an MVP just five years ago. He's better than Nick Mullins. Why is Josh McDaniels not putting him in the best opportunity to be successful? Because Shanahan is putting Mullins there. They are devoid of talent right now as presently constructed in San Francisco, but at least their coach is giving them a chance. And I haven't felt like McDaniels is giving the Patriots a chance. Yes, they too are devoid of talent in a lot of spots. I have to be a little more understanding of that. But what I would like to see is their coach put them in a position to be successful. Um, other Something else that's interesting and another takeaway with Eric Eager, and I've been kind of sitting on this for a while. I've been thinking about this. We always talk about the players who leave the Patriots or the players that the Patriots let go, right? They let go Trey Flowers, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Landon Roberts, Danny Amendola, uh, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan. They've let a lot of good players leave, and in some cases they've been proven right, right? Like that some of these guys are no longer as good. Malcolm Butler wasn't as good when he went to Tennessee. Deion Lewis wasn't as good when he went to Tennessee. They've let a lot of good players go. But we focus on the players. And then we go to the coaches, right? And we say, ah, okay, well, they're not that great on their own. Matt Patricia not doing that great a job in Detroit. And um, Charlie Weiss wasn't very good on his own at Notre Dame. And Romeo Cornell wasn't very good in Cleveland. And so, okay, we just kind of write those off too. You have to think about the brain trust in New England and how because they're so good, it's constantly being poached. And I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is not good enough to build a winning team on his own. I am not saying that. But in addition to looking at the players, you have to think about the coaches and the executives that have also left New England. John Robinson, GM in Tennessee, very, very good executive. Has the Titans as one of the top teams in the AFC. And certainly right now, though they have the same record as Indianapolis, I still would say they're the class of the AFC South. Jack Easterby who's a really good executive who's been there for a while. He's now in Houston. And Jason Light, who's the GM in Tampa, he used to be in New England. He's gone now in Tampa. Part of the reason Tom Brady went to Tampa is the relationship he had with Jason Light. So in addition to your coaching staff being poached constantly, whether it's Matt Patricia or Brian Flores, 
you also have this brain trust that's just being constantly drained. And again, I'm not making excuses for Bill Belichick because it happens a lot. It happens in a lot of really good programs and a lot of really good companies in sports or otherwise where your top people get taken and yet you're still able to overcome. The Patriots should be able to overcome it like they've overcome it before. But it's interesting to note that it's not just the player. And I've never really thought about it from an executive standpoint. As the players leave, we always point to them. As a front-facing coach or coordinator leaves, we point to them. But also don't forget about the brain trust. Eric Eager talked about some of that with me as well. I would say that there's some obvious, you know, you know, in the Patriots' heyday, it was Pioli and it was Belichick. And, you know, since then, it's really been Belichick kind of by himself. And, you know, some coaches who I think mo- most of whom have struggled when the, when it's come time to sort of do the entire job. Um, there, there could be something to it. I know their, you know, their drafts have not looked good by our metrics in an awful long time. And the Patriots have been missing some of those pieces that helped create the culture that they've had, right? Some of the guys that were good at drafting, some of those guys that were good at development. And like right now, it's basically Bill Belichick and Nick Casario on an island. And I was wrestling back and forth with this idea too. Bill Belichick's getting a lot of hate right now about how he shouldn't be kind of the de facto general manager. Doesn't draft well, doesn't develop first-round picks well, a lot of busts, hasn't made a lot of good trades. Hey, Bill, maybe you should just stick to coaching. I've been thinking about whether or not I think that's true. On one hand, I am surprised that a nearly 70-year-old man wants the stress and rigor of basically doing two jobs. Head coach in the NFL is enough. Head coach, come up with a game plan, hire a staff, develop, you know, study film, look at tendencies, connect with players. That's enough of a job. There's a lot of people who can't do that. But then monitor college football, charge in charge of the draft, deal with some contract stuff, figure out who we're re-signing. Like, that's a lot for anybody. Somebody who's almost 70 years old, at most times in life when you're par- paring down your responsibilities, he's continuing to work as hard as he's ever worked before. You see high-level college coaches, right? Bobby Bowden's not flying across the country, sitting in some kid's living room in California at 70 years old. Joe Paterno wasn't doing it. They were figureheads, right? They're there to close the deal. They got they got young, energetic staff members who are there to who are there to recruit and recruit hard. And Belichick or Saban makes a phone call, and Bowden makes a phone call, and Paterno made a phone call. I'm not telling Bill Belichick to not do it. I'm just, it's interesting that I, that when most people in life are paring down their responsibilities, he's keeping them as high as they've ever been. But on the other hand, is it really surprising? Because I think Bill Belichick is a control freak. And he learned that from none other than Bill Parcells. I mean, Bill Parcells is Bill Belichick's mentor. And remember when they were on staff together, in, with the Giants, everything that Belichick knows, I feel like he learned from Parcells at the beginning. And remember, when Parcells was the Patriots coach, it was his famous quote, if they want you to cook the meal, the least they could do is let you shop for the groceries. And I bet you that Bill Belichick heard that, and he never forgot that. If they want you to cook the meal, the least they could do is let you shop for the groceries. I don't think Bill Belichick's ever going to give up control of shopping for his own groceries even at a time and an age where most people wouldn't want to do 
what he is doing because it requires an incredible amount of discipline, an incredible amount of diligence, and an incredible amount of stress to do it at nearly 70 years old. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So, again, because of the Alex Cora news and because we don't have a show on Monday, I've kind of restructured some things for today. Usually on Friday at this time, I give you my locks for the weekend. And then on Monday, we come through and look at them. But since I don't have a show on Monday because of the Patriots game, I'm not going to do the locks this weekend. I might tweet out a couple things, WDEV, Radio Brady, but I'm not going to do them on the show. I just want to get back into this Alex Cora news. And now within the last hour, and after I went on my opening rant, I started seeing things right after the fact where the Red Sox have announced through Twitter that Cora is officially the manager again. They have some comments from him. They have some comments from management. Um, It looks like they posted it officially a few minutes before I went on the air. So I had not seen it before I went on the air. Still a embarrassing Friday news dump that they put out after five o'clock. I mean, so regardless of whether they put it out a few minutes before I went on the air, it was still embarrassingly late on that. What do I want to see from Alex Cora? Because I don't expect this team to compete. So it's not like I'm saying I got to see him handle the bullpen properly and have a better plan for the starters. It's not so much that. Because the on-field stuff to me is not irrelevant, but the end record's not as important. Because I, I have it in my mind that as it sits right now, the Red Sox won't be very good next year. The thing I want to see from him most is teaching and patience. Because communication and teaching were the things that we were sold on and being a player's manager. That was what we were sold on when he got hired a couple of years ago. That stuff has to be there again. And it has to be at the forefront of his skill set. Because where he puts Ben Attendee in the batting order doesn't really matter to me that much because I don't expect the team to be good. Like, what's the difference? They're going to win 74 games or 77 games. They're not making the playoffs no matter what as presently constructed. He needs to be able to reconnect with players because there are guys that took steps back. 2020 has been hard for everybody, so you can understand why guys took steps back because it's just such a hard year to navigate. But Rafael Devers was an MVP candidate in 2019, wasn't very good in 2020, certainly wasn't very consistent. Andrew Benintendi only played 14 games last year before going on the shelf with injury. He wasn't very good in 2019. There was a time where I wouldn't have traded Andrew Benintendi for almost any prospect in baseball. He has become a below-average hitter at the moment. Can Cora get the best out of Benintendi? Because when they won the World Series in 2018, Benintendi was very, very good. I think he hit 290 that year. He hit 266 in 2019, and last year was barely played. Devers needs to step up. Benintendi needs to be refound. He needs to continue to help Eduardo Rodriguez develop into an ace, and an ace that the Red Sox want to re-sign and hold on to. He needs to get the best out of their young prospects, even though they're limited. Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis, if he's still around. They need to get the best out of those guys. Because if they are going to surprise at all in 2020, or even or 2021, or even be good subsequently soon, you're going to need Dahlbeck to continue to grow. And he hit for a lot of power when he came up this year. Bunch of homers. They're going to need more of that, and they're going to need more out of him. Chavis has got to find himself. What is he exactly? Is he a power? He's like five foot ten. Is he a power hitter who strikes out a bunch? Or will he be a guy who can slim down, become more of an athlete, and be a second baseman? Or is he just a stocky first baseman DH type? I don't know. 
And what are you going to get out of Alex Verdugo? We saw a lot last year that you liked out of him. Plays with a with an energy. An energy that, frankly, the Red Sox lacked a lot of the year last year, partly because they were so bad. What can Cora do to get even more out of Verdugo? I don't expect this year to be about wins and losses. I expect this year to be about development and growth. And if Alex Cora is going to prove that he's the right guy to me, he's got to show me that the traits that we knew he was hired for originally, teacher, communicator, connector, that all of that is there. Because the Red Sox got guys who need it, and they need to grow. And if they want to get good again, and they want to get good quick, Alex Cora is going to have to get the best out of a lot of those guys. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. What we'll do uh, coming up next is I'll give you my, my six-pack of questions for the weekend in football. So I'll give my six-pack of questions for the weekend in football. We'll do that next, and then we'll sneak in a daily dose of Doug, I think, so depending on the time. So here we are, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Ken Squire here. I've been thinking a lot about heritage at WDEV. And yes, there's a lot to be proud of in those 89 years that we've been on the air. But our focus now is on the next 89, and that's where you come in. We need your support to continue bringing the people-driven radio that you've come to rely on and enjoy. Lee Cattell, Rick Sangari, Roger Hill, Kyle Winchell, Dave Graham, Bill Sayer, and new people Brady Farkas, Greg Hooker, John Wilson. That's not all. There's also Dex Rowe, Joel Nashman, and Jack Donovan on the weekends. News, talk, music, weather, community events, jazz, sports. It's quite the variety, and it's quite the staff, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Go to WDEVradio.com and click support. Thank you. Experience Waterbury's rich arts culture and history right in downtown. Stop by the studios to watch local artists at work and pick up artworks to take home. Stock up on supplies for your cool weather craft projects. Check out the latest shows on display at the galleries or take in some art on a larger scale with Waterbury's historic tour highlighting architecture around town. Start your stroll at Dr. Henry Jane's house, now the town offices, and pick up your tour brochure on the porch or online. Discover more great Waterbury experiences at discoverwaterbury.com experiences. Discover the magic of Waterbury. Hey, it's Caleb at Waterbury Sports. Come in early to get your kids set up for their seasonal rentals. We are now leasing downhill cross-country and backcountry skis, as well as snowboard setups for kids and adults. We've got all your winter gear needs at Waterbury Sports, downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Al Karen and the team at Waterbury Service Center would like to thank everyone for their continued support during Main Street reconstruction. As always, they are ready to help your car perform as well as possible, including oil changes and inspections. Conveniently located in downtown Waterbury, at 49 South Main Street. Birkin goes airborne, both into the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots! WDEV FM and AM is your new home for the New England Patriots. Monday night, the Patriots head out on the road to take on the New York Jets. Season-long coverage of New England Patriots football is brought to you by Formula Ford, right at the roundabout on River Street in Montpelier, online at formulatruckland.com. Matt Clark's Northern Basement Systems. All things basementy. NorthernAnyFoundations.com. Chips Auto and Tire. Your one-stop shop for all your vehicle needs in Randolph, Vermont. And LeCare's Marine and Power Sports. Your local Polaris dealer. Find them online at LeCare's.com. 
The New England Patriots at the New York Jets this Monday night. Pre-game at 5.30, kickoff at 8.15. On your new home for New England Patriots football, WDEV FM and AM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Patriots playing on Monday tonight. So usually we do the Daily Dose of Doug right here. I'm going to give you my NFL six-pack of questions. Then we'll see if we can sneak in a little Doug Flutie as well. But uh, hey, it's 5 o'clock somewhere still. It's past 5 o'clock here if you're listening live on the East Coast. So it's time to crack one open. We get our six-pack of NFL questions. The game I most want to watch. I never thought I'd say this. The game I most want to watch. The 4-3 and three Dolphins and the 5-2 and two Cardinals. And there's a couple of different reasons why, but it mainly is because of quarterback play. Tua Tagovailoa goes on his first road game to Arizona, takes on Kyler Murray, who's one of the new golden boys in the NFL. It's the fifth instance of quarterbacks who finished 1-2 in the Heisman Trophy voting meeting as NFL starters. Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Sam Bradford, Colt McCoy, Jim Plunkett, Joe Theismann, and now Tua Tagovailoa and Kyler Murray. So I'm looking forward to seeing this matchup. What does Tua look like on the road? He won last week. He didn't have to do a whole lot. He you know, threw one touchdown. He got a defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown to help them beat the Rams. Now he goes on the road. And by the way, the Dolphins are good all of a sudden. They've won three straight, four and three. Brian Flores looks the real deal as a head coach. And I'm a... I'm a disillusioned Patriots fan right now. I'm thinking that if Buffalo loses to Seattle and if the Dolphins lose on the road, well, boom, now the Patriots can beat the Jets, and all of a sudden, here they come again. I don't think the Patriots are going to the playoffs as it stands right now, but if Tua can't go on the road and beat Kyler Murray and if the Bills are going to lose at home to Seattle, which is very, very real given how good Seattle is, and Seattle's the Vegas favorite, absolutely a possibility the Patriots can stay within the race. Tua, by the way, I mentioned he didn't have to do a lot. First quarterback since 1999. First quarterback since 1999 to win a game with fewer than 100 passing yards. Think about that. First quarterback to win his to win his first career start, rather, not win a game. First quarterback to win his first career start with a fewer than 100 passing yards since Donovan McNabb in 1999. 20-plus attempts. Yeah, sure, it's snowplow season, so there we go. See, that's what happens. I play the music behind, and we get some kind of ad, so thanks, YouTube. So there we go. I feel like I'm hearing something else in the background. I don't know what that is, though. So I'm going to ditch the music for a little while. <laughs> we'll get back to it. But This is what I call now the 90-day fiancé game. It's question number two. Basically, the game that I don't care about. The game that I would rather watch anything else than. 90-day fiancé on TLC. It's a good show. I make fun of it, but I watch it all the time. So it's like one of my guilty pleasures. So I'd rather watch 90 Day Fiance reruns than watch the Giants at the Washington football team. Washington, amazingly enough, at two wins, has a 25% chance of winning the NFC East. That's second best in the division. 25% chance of winning the division does the Washington football team. The Giants, their last three wins have all been against Washington. As I was singing Daniel Jones' praise during through the course of the week, I didn't realize that he's got three wins in a row against Washington, and he's lost 16 straight games against all other opponents. 
that is not something that I want to be a part of. I still like Daniel Jones. I still think he's good, but he's got to beat somebody other than Washington. This week, though, I'd like to see him beat Washington, but I won't be watching. I'll be watching 90 Day Fiance. By the way, Jones, 30, 36 turnovers in the last two seasons. 36 turnovers in the last two seasons. It's truly amazing. I, I think it can be fixed. When I talk with Flutie next week, I'm going to do a podcast with him where I ask him some questions about Daniel Jones and just about the mindset of quarterbacks. I got to know how long it takes to fix decision-making or if it can ever be fixed. Moving on, question number three, the player I want to watch most. I thought a lot about this. I thought about Tua and Kyler Murray here, but the answer is Russell Wilson. Number one, he's the MVP favorite. Number two, he's on pace for 59 touchdown passes, which would be the most in NFL history in a single season. Six and one Seahawks at the six and two Bills. Seahawks defense getting a little bit healthier, so should give Russell a little bit of help, we hope. It can't be any worse than it's been through the first uh, seven games of the season. You always hear that West Coast teams that go East struggle, and they usually do, right? Not Russell Wilson. 21 and six on the road in the Eastern time zone for Russell Wilson. 21 and six. The Seahawks have the best winning percentage in the Eastern time zone since 2012 when he came in the league. Patriots are second. They play more games in the Eastern time zone, but they have more chances for wins. Seahawks are 21 and six in the Eastern time zone since 2012. Russell Wilson's last 10 games in the Eastern time zone, 22 touchdowns and two interceptions. 22 touchdowns and two interceptions. Remember, they beat the Patriots a couple of years ago on Sunday Night Football. They've beaten the Eagles a couple of times, including the playoffs last year. They've messed around with the Giants. They've beaten the Jets on the East Coast. So, I mean, they've really played well. They've beat Washington in the playoffs on the East Coast. So, um, certainly a uh, a really good history for the Seahawks coming East. And we'll see what happens there with their running backs. I'm not sure if Chris Carson's going to play Carlos Hyde. So, they're banged up. Their defense does get a little healthier. Now, moving on to the Patriots. I want to go to them now. We ask our final three questions on the Patriots. The Patriots win Monday night if. Remember, Patriots, Jets, 530, no show. So we do the preview a little bit now. The Patriots win this game if. Fill in the blank. And for me, they win this game simply if they can get a lead. Any lead. They haven't scored any offensive points in the first quarter this entire season. They have not scored any offensive points in the first quarter of this entire season. Okay, The Jets are last in the NFL in scoring by a full touchdown. They're last in the NFL in scoring by a full touchdown. They're averaging like 11.5 points a game. The next lowest team averages 18. The Patriots, if they can get up 10-0, I trust they can win. The Jets are last in the league in passing yards per game. Sam Darnold's last in the NFL in passing yards per game. He hasn't played every Jets game, but he's last in the NFL in passing yards. This team won't come back. They don't have the explosion. They don't have the ability. If the Patriots can finally score early and get a lead, then they have an opportunity to win this game and hold on. And that's what they need to do. Get out early. Score in the first quarter. Take a couple of shots. And then I'm not asking them to sit on the ball, but if they get up 10-0, 13-3, They're going to win this game. Fill in the blank the other way. Patriots lose this game if. Simply, they turn the ball over. If they turn the ball over, that's how they'll lose this game. That's the only chance the Jets really have. It's always the equalizer. Short fields that lead to quick points, fluky things, missed kicks, etc. The Patriots really have to beat themselves to lose this game. Even as 
even as poorly as they're as they've played at times, and even as poor as their record is, they're still a few plays away from having four wins, right? They're they're two plays away from being four and three. They could have beaten Seattle and they could have beaten Buffalo. For as poor as they've played, they're two plays away from being four and three. They're better than the Jets. If they turn it over, that's going to be the equalizer. That's going to be the chance. The Jets aren't going 80 yards consistently down the field to score touchdowns. But if you turn it over three times in your own territory and they got to go 37 yards and 42 yards and 21 yards, then they've got a chance. That's how they lose this game. My final score prediction, so number six of the six-pack is 23-14 Patriots. 23-14 Patriots. I think the Pats win this game ultimately. I don't think it's necessarily pretty. I don't think they really have the ability to blow a team out, but they get up early. They sit on it a bit. 23-13. I think Cam Newton plays a little better. The team plays better. And the Pats ultimately go to 3-5. and five. And what hopefully could be losses for Miami and uh, and Buffalo. And the Patriots are kind of back in the conversation again, although on the outside looking in once more. All right. Uh, we got some time here, so let's get to uh, let's get to daily dose of Doug. Let's get let's hear from Flutie. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's hear from Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, two-time, played with him in the 80s, played with him in the uh, 2000s as well for a season at the end of his career. He and I do a podcast together. It's called the Believe in Patriots podcast, B-L-E-A-V, so you can find it on any of your podcast providers as well. And he has just been a treasure trove of knowledge about the NFL. We were talking the other day about Sony Michelle and Sony Michelle for the Patriots. He's coming back this week. He's, he's off the IR. He's eligible to play. I don't know what role he's going to have. I don't think he's better than Damian Harris at this point. I don't think he's better than Rex Burkhead at this point. He doesn't do what James White does, which is really catch the ball out of the backfield. And that leads me to what Doug Flutie said. He talked to me about his requirements for a running back. We'll get into what it means for Sony Michelle after. My biggest criteria for a running back is can he catch the ball? Can he run an angle route, a flat route, a swing route, and screens and catch the ball? Now, if you got a guy, I was so fortunate to play with Walter Payton, Thurman Thomas, LaDainian Tomlinson, guys that could actually run real routes downfield yeah. as well, that, that just made that position so dangerous. And then, of course, they were natural runners with the ball. That's why they're running backs. That's why they were drafted. Okay. So, first off, it's amazing. He played with Walter Payton, Thurman Thomas, and LaDainian Tomlinson, three of the greatest running backs in NFL history. Put that point aside. He said, my biggest requirement for a running back is can they catch the ball out of the backfield? And he says, can you run four basic routes? Can you catch a ball out of the flat, you know, just where you're kind of next to the quarterback and you're just kind of going out to your left or right? Can you run an angle route? Can you uh, run a screen? And can you run one more? That that's that's all he wants. He wants you to have a very minimal route tree, and a and a simple ability to just catch the ball and be a threat out of the backfield. Someone he can use as an outlet. And then because you're naturally a running back, can you move in space? As for what this means for Sony Michelle, he doesn't do that, and that is part of the reason why I think Sony Michelle's 
time is up in New England after year four. He's going to be on the team next year, right? They're not going to cut him, but they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. They're not going to pay him $9 million for that fifth year. Right now they pay him like you know a million and a half is the, the kind of base salary. They're not going to pay him $9 million to go in $10 million for that fifth-year option. He doesn't do He doesn't do anything exceptional. And because he helped them win the Super Bowl and because he carried them through the 2018 playoffs, I've always said Tony Tony Michel's not a bust. I'm grateful for that. But he's not a guy who deserves to have his fifth-year option picked up. So Flutie says, my number one criteria is that you can catch the ball out of the backfield and run four basic routes. He had 20 – Michel has 21 catches in 32 career regular season games. 21 catches – in 32 career regular season games. Christian McCaffrey is like over 100 catches a season when healthy. If Saquon Barkley was healthy, he'd be at 75, 80 catches a year. Like, that's what elite Le'Veon Bell in his day was with the Steelers. That's what they do. Yeah, they run, but they also catch you 50, 65, 85, 100 balls a year. Sony Michelle averages less than one catch per game. He Look, he's not a guy who hits the hole with some great burst and is some unbelievable running back. He's not Adrian Peterson, right? Adrian Peterson doesn't catch a ton of balls out of the backfield, but he hits the hole hard and he just goes. Sonny Michel doesn't do that, okay? but he doesn't have the hands of a James White or the elusiveness of a James White. So I don't know what exactly Sonny Michel, like when he plays on Monday, I really don't know how much he's going to play and what role he serves. Look at the backs in New England the last several years. Kevin Folk. Pass catching back, able to do both. Rex Burkhead gets a, a real chance, able to do both. Deion Lewis was valuable, able to do both. James White has a specialty. He's great at catching the ball out of the backfield. LeGarrette Blunt had a specialty. He was great at running the ball at the middle. They didn't ask him to catch a whole lot of passes, but he was so special and so powerful at that, you know, at that one thing he was great at, which is just bulldozing people, short yardage, and he broke a couple too, but he was so good at that, he didn't need to catch the ball a bunch. I mean, I'm looking right now at Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson in his career, and again, I just said he doesn't catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. 19. 19 catches. 21 catches. 43 catches. 36 catches. 40 catches. 29. 2, although he got only played one game. 30. 3. 11. Like, he, I mean, Adrian Peterson's a Hall of Famer. He still had a couple of years where he was over 30 catches. Sonny Michel averages less than one a game. He doesn't have 30 catches yet for his career. That He's not going to work, or he's not going to last in New England. He is not a He's not special enough at actually being a running back who hits the hole to just do that. Like he can't. Even the guys who are really good at that, like Chris Carson in Seattle, has in two, cut, two touchdown catches week one this year. He's catching the ball out of the backfield. Running backs are adding this skill to their repertoire, and Sonny Michel just isn't doing it and you've heard him talk about working on it he wants to get better at it we think but he's just not able to do it and they're not using him in that way so I'm not quite sure what the um what what the answer is for Sony Michelle because he doesn't seem to have a place anymore for me like I, I'm done with Sony Michelle after next year I, I still want him on the team next year because he can be useful but I'm done with thinking that he is a long-term answer or a guy who's going to carry an offense because he just doesn't do anything spectacular. Like, we've seen more bursts out of J.J. Taylor. We've seen more bursts out of Rex Burkhead. We've seen more bursts out of Damian Harris. And we've seen better hands out of, you know, out of Burkhead especially. And Harris remains to be seen. 
He caught the ball a little bit at Alabama, but not a ton. So he's also going to need to morph into that because Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, Christian McCaffrey, these guys are elite running backs. They're first-round running backs, first-round caliber running backs. They catch the ball out of the backfield. Sony, Sony Michelle doesn't. Therefore, I'm pretty much done with Sony Michelle at this point. The Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, uh, let's get to who's saying what. That's coming up next right here on WDEV. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big-time trouble. They really said that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, final segment here on a Friday. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? Former Patriots quarterback, current Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady was asked about if he ever talks to people in New England still and does he have any thoughts on how the Patriots are playing this season, which is uh, not well. Well, I have a lot of relationships with uh, a lot of teammates. So, um, you know, I just – I wish everybody the best all the time. I I don't ever wish, uh, you know, for anyone to not perform at their best and so forth. I certainly wish our team to play the best. Maybe the only team I don't root for is the team we're playing on that particular Sunday. So, All right, so Tom Brady says he's not rooting against the Patriots. He doesn't root against anybody other than the team that the Buccaneers are playing. A lot of people are going to laugh. I actually agree with him. I believe him, rather. I think there's a part of Tom Brady that wants to be proven right that Belichick can't do it without him. I think he wants to see certain things blow up in Belichick's face. But overall, this year, I don't think he's rooting against the Patriots. I do not think that Tom Brady, while he is competitive and while he certainly has a long memory, I don't believe he's spiteful towards people who are good to him. I don't think he's rooting against James White. I don't think he's rooting against David Andrews. I don't think he's rooting against Stephon Gilmore. I think he does genuinely like a lot of people in the Patriots organization. And while he may have a disdain for Belichick in some ways, and while he may want to see Belichick fail, I don't think he wants to see Belichick fail at the expense of all of his friends. And I think there's a lot of people out there that don't believe that. I think there's a lot of people out there that have a perception of Tom Brady, that he's a bad guy. I hate the way he's handled the Antonio Brown thing. I have lost respect for him there. I do believe that overall, though, he wants to be generally happy, and he's generally Mr. Positivity, which is part of the reason why he can bring in an Antonio Brown and think that it's okay because he thinks that he can revive him and thinks that being around him will save Antonio Brown and that he can get the best out of him, that Brown won't be a bad guy here because I'm here. I think there's a lot of I think a lot of Mr. Positivity is in Tom Brady. And because of that, because of that natural personality, I don't think that he's really out to see his old friends and his old teammates fail. I think there's a lot of people that roll their eyes and say, sure, Tom. But at the end of the day, he does have a lot of relationships and a lot of positive ones. And it's just it's not even just on the field, right? It's off the field too, with trainers and executives and Robert Kraft, the owner. I think the only person who's got any animosity towards is Belichick. I don't think he's got animosity towards anybody else. And he generally, I do believe, genuinely wants to see his guys play well. And some of those Patriots players are still his guys. David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Isaiah Wynn, James White, Rex Burkhead, Sony Michelle, even him, uh, Joe Tooney. There's a lot of guys there with a lot of history 
I don't think he wants – and he knows how fickle the league is. He doesn't want to see these guys get cut, lose their job, get traded. Patriots go through a rebuild and all of his friends are out. Of, I, I, he's not like that. He, he has handled this Antonio Brown thing horrendously. But I genuinely believe that he's not rooting against anybody but Belichick. And even that, I don't think he's doing it at the expense of his dear friends. Let's move on to another one. Akib Talib, former Patriots defensive back. He was on the herd with Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports Radio the other day. And Colin asked him a question. He said, as you go towards week nine, as you go get into November, do you know what kind of football team you are? Have you ever been on a team that's gotten much better or worse after this point in the season? Here was his answer. I feel like by November, you know what you got. You know if you're a good team. You know if you're a contender. You know if you're working on next year. Uh, I can recall Bill in me and saying that, you know, the football season starts in November. Like, this was when it really cranks up. The good teams are really trying to be good. The decent teams are trying to be a good team. And the bad teams are just getting ready for next year, man. The guys check out. So, no, what you see is what you get. All right, that's very interesting because he said, and he played for the Patriots, that Bill Belichick, he has heard Bill Belichick say in meetings, the football season starts in November. The good teams want to be great. The decent teams want to be good. And the bad teams are playing for next year. You can just pack it in. We're going to know a whole lot then about the Patriots come Monday night. They should beat the Jets because they're just out and out better than the Jets. And the Jets are just really bad. But how will they look? Will they come out motivated? Will If they come out motivated with a full head of steam, you'll know, hey, we think we're in this. We, we know the calendar slipped. We know the urgency is here. We know that time is slipping away from us. We are going to come out urgent and ready to inflict some damage here in this game. If they come out lethargic, start slow, conservative play calling, you'll know that they are packing it in in the way that Akeem Tlaib just told you. That's how Bill Belichick feels. If you are a bad team, the bad teams show themselves. The teams that are packing it in show themselves in early no- starting in early November. If the Patriots play lethargic, if they play – without energy. It's it's one thing if they don't win by 40. But if they come out and play with no energy and they come out and play with no real motivation and they don't look like they have any incentive for being there, then you'll know how they feel about themselves internally. I think the leadership group for the Patriots is absolutely critical this year. I've thought that all along. That in, in the wake of Tom Brady leaving, with the possibility of this happening and the possibility of it being a painful season, the key veterans on this team really needed to step up. I told you yesterday that I really feared that Golden Tate would be a problem for the Giants. He was the one veteran who wasn't willing to be a leader, I feared. When you think about the Patriots, Matthew Slater, Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, Julian Edelman, David Andrews. There's a lot of veteran players on this team and their message about hard work and their message about dedication and motivation needed to trickle down to the young people. As this Patriots team builds again for what I hope is this year, but also for the future, those veterans are critically important to getting the message out and to showing that this is the way that, you know, showing the quote right way to play. I don't know that they're going to win by 30 on Monday. I picked them to win by 9, 23 to 14. I'm less concerned with the final score even than I am just the sense of urgency that they play with because Aqib Tlaib is telling you Bill Belichick thinks that the bad teams begin laying down come early November. Well, how do the Patriots view themselves? Are they one of those – 
decent teams that's trying to be good, or are they one of those bad teams that is packing it in? Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's get to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay Right, it is official now. The Red Sox have put it out. Alex Cora, has comment, has put out some stuff on Twitter as well. He is the manager, once again, of the Boston Red Sox. And at this point, what do I want to hear from him and what do I want to hear from the team? I want to hear exactly what happened. I don't necessarily need Alex Cora to implicate members of the Astros, right? The players signed agreements based for, you know, on the conditions of confidentiality and and anonymity. I don't need him to out Astros players. That's not what I'm looking for. I do want to hear contrition. I do want to hear what he did. I want to hear exactly how the system worked. I want to hear him apologize to the 2017 Red Sox that were beaten by the 2017 Astros in the playoffs. I want to see him apologize to his own players, right? Players on his team who he beat in that year, or helped beat in that year, potentially illegitimately. Chris Sale was a losing pitcher that year. David Price was a losing pitcher that year, if I recall right. Uh, Dustin Pedroia was on that team, and Devers was a rookie on that team, and Ben Attendee was on that team, and Bogarts was on that team. Those guys deserve apologies. Maybe they've already forgiven him, but publicly I need to hear it. I want to hear contrition, I want to hear remorse, and I want to hear exactly what happened. I don't need you to out everybody on the roster. I know the players were involved, and I know most of them, or if not all of them, were involved, and they all benefited from it. I want to hear what your part was. I want to hear what your role was. How involved were you? Did you start it? Did you bring the system? Did you try to stop it ever? I want to hear the answers. I've heard over and over again that Alex Cora is a man of honor, that Alex Cora is a man of integrity. I want him to show that. I want him to look to the media. I know he's going to be on Zoom. Whenever he's introduced, he's going to be on Zoom, I'm sure. I want him to look to the media. I want him to look to the fan base. I want him to look to fans of baseball, and I want him to explain himself. He's not going to have to do it very often. Coronavirus is still, in my mind, going to be impacting sports by the time next baseball season happens. He won't have to deal with the huge media frenzy at spring training. He won't have to deal with a huge media frenzy on opening day. He won't have to deal with the in-person media frenzy maybe until midseason next year, until a vaccine comes out. He won't have to deal with all of the opposing fans because I don't know how many places are going to have fans and certainly aren't going to be full stadiums. He won't have to do it very often, but he's got to take one real shot at it here, and he's got to own it, and he's got to tell us. he is. People have said he's a man of honor. People have said he's a man of honor. He's got to show it. He's got to show contrition. He's got to take ownership of what happened. Because part of the reason there was such vehemence for the Astros last spring is that they didn't own it. Altuve, Bregman, they went out there. They answered a couple of questions. They said nothing, prepared statements. That was it. I want Alex Cora to look like a human. I don't want prepared statements. I want him to show emotion. Alex Cora is emotional. He loves this game. This game means a lot to him. He knows he cheated the game. I bet he feels bad. 
I want to see it. And I think when he shows that emotion, it's going to be real. There will be people who say, oh, well, that was fake. He just looked good. He yucked it up for the cameras. I don't think so. Okay, baseball means a lot to the people of Puerto Rico, and Alex Cora knows that, and he represents that, and he has been a part of the World Baseball Classic, and he's been a part of, you know, he, he was the general manager for World Baseball Classic team representing his country. He knows what this game means, and he knows what it means to him and the people of his country and the people of Boston. He knows what he did. I want to see that emotion come out because I bet you there's real emotion even a year later. He's been described as a man of honor. Let's see it one more time. And he's only got to do it once as far as I'm concerned. But that one time better be done well. All right, that's it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. As always, the show brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Remember, no show on Monday. We have Patriots football beginning at 5.30. Patriots and Jets can't wait to be back on Tuesday. We'll be joined by uh, Bob Sosi, Patriots broadcaster, who will just be less than 24 hours removed from his first game on our station. Full show podcast will be available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast channel and WDEVradio.com. We'll be ready in about 15 minutes after the show. That's just how quickly that takes. And uh, Eric Eager, thanks to join us. Thanks for joining us as well. That also on our podcast channel, as well as a special bonus interview with Anthony Tresh, Pro Football Focus College Insider, talking about why the Patriots should tank for Justin Fields. All right, that will do it for me. I'll be back on Monday with the afternoon news service, but no sports show. That'll come back on Tuesday. Until then, everybody, have a great weekend. Download those podcasts. Enjoy the NFL, and uh, we'll see what everybody says about the Alex Cora hiring. See you later on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is next.